Section 12 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Street Sellers of Bird's Nests The young gypsy-looking lad who gave me the following account of the sale of bird's nests in the streets was peculiarly picturesque in his appearance. He wore a dirty-looking smock-frock with large pockets at the side, he had no shirt, and his long black hair hung in curls about him, contrasting strongly with his bare white neck and chest. The broad-brimmed brown Italian-looking hat, broken in and ragged at the top, threw a dark half-mask-like shadow over the upper part of his face. His feet were bare and black with mud. He carried in one hand his basket of nests, dotted with their many-coloured eggs. In the other he held a live snake that writhed and twisted as its metallic-looking skin glistened in the sun. Now over and now round, the thick, knotty bough of a tree that he used for a stick. The portrait of the youth is here given. I have never seen so picturesque a specimen of the English nomad. He said in answer to my inquiries, I am a seller of birds' nesties, snakes, slow-worms, adders, effets. Note, lizards is their common name, end note. Hedgehogs, for killing black beetles. Frogs, for the French they eats them. Snails, for birds. That's all I sell in the summer time. In the winter I get all kinds of wild flowers and roots. Primroses, buttercups and daisies and snowdrops. And backing off of trees. Backing, it's called, because it's used to put at the back of nosegays. It's got off the yew trees and is the green yew fern. I gather bulrushes in the summer-time, besides what I told you. Some buys bulrushes for stuffing. They're the fairy rushes, the small ones, and the big ones is bulrushes. The small ones is used for stuffing, that is, for showing off the birds as is stuffed, and make em seem as if they was alive in their cases, and among the rushes. I sell them to the bird-stuffers at a penny a dozen. The big rushes the boys buys to play with, and beat one another. On a Sunday evening, mostly. The bird's nesties I get from a penny to threepence a piece for. I never had young birds. I can never sell them. You see, the young things generally dies of the cramp before you can get rid of them. I sell the bird's nesties in the streets. The threepenny ones has six eggs. A halfpenny a egg. The linnets has mostly four eggs. They're fourpence the nest. They're for putting under canaries and being hatched by them. The thrushes has from four to five, five is the most. They're tuppence. They're merely for curiosity, glass cases or anything like that. Moorhens, what build on the moors, has from eight to nine eggs, and is a penny apiece. They're for hatching underneath a bantam fowl, the same as partridges. Chaffinches has five eggs. They're threepence, and is for curiosity. Hedge sparrows, five eggs. They're the same price as the other, and is for curiosity. The bottle tit, the nest and the bow are always put in glass cases. It's a long hanging nest, like a bottle, with a hole about as big as a sixpence, and there's mostly as many as eighteen eggs. They've been known to lay thirty-three. To the house sparrow there is five eggs, they're a penny. The yellow hammers with five eggs is tuppence. The water wagtails with four eggs, tuppence. Blackbirds with five eggs, tuppence. The golden crest wren, with ten eggs, it has a very handsome nest, 
is sixpence. Bullfinches, four eggs, a shilling. They're for hatching, and the bullfinch is a very dear bird. Crows, four eggs, fourpence. Magpies, four eggs, fourpence. Starlings, five eggs, threepence. The egg chats, five eggs, tuppence. Goldfinches, five eggs, sixpence for hatching. Martins, five eggs, threepence. The swallow, four eggs, sixpence. It's so dear because the nest is such a curiosity. They build up again the house. The butcher birds, hedge murderers some calls them, for the number of birds they kills, five eggs, threepence. The cuckoo, they never has a nest, but lays in the hedge sparrows. There's only one egg. It's very rare you see the two. They has been got, but that's seldom. That is fourpence. The egg is such a curiosity. The greenfinches has four or five eggs, and is threepence. The sparrowhawk has four eggs, and they're sixpence. The reed sparrow, they builds in the reeds close where the bulrushes grow. They has four eggs, and is tuppence. The wood pigeon has two eggs, and they're fourpence. The horned owl, four eggs, they're sixpence. The woodpecker, I never see no more than two. They're sixpence the two. They're a great curiosity, very seldom found. The kingfishers has four eggs and is sixpence. That's all I know of. I gets the eggs mostly from Witham and Chelmsford in Essex. Chelmsford is twenty mile from Whitechapel Church and Witham eight mile further. I know more about them parts than anywhere else, being used to go after moss for Mr. Butler of the herb shop in Covent Garden. Sometimes I go to Shirley Common and Shirley Wood. That's three miles from Croydon, and Croydon is ten from Westminster Bridge. When I'm out bird-nesting, I take all the cross-country roads across fields and into the woods. I begin bird-nesting in May and leave off about August, and then comes the bull-rushing, and they last till Christmas, and after that comes the roots and wild-flowers, which serves me up to May again. I go out bird-nesting three times a week. I go away at night and come up on the morning of the day after. I'm away a day and two nights. I start between one and two in the morning and walk all night for the coolness. You see, the weather's so hot, you can't do it in the daytime. When I get down, I go to sleep for a couple of hours. I skipper it, turn in under a hedge or anywhere. I get down about nine in the morning at Chelmsford and about one if I go to Witham. After I've had my sleep, I start off to get my nests and things. I climb the trees. Often I go up a dozen in the day. And many a time there's nothing in the nest when I get up. I only fell once. I got on the end of the bough and slipped off. I poisoned my foot once with the stagnant water going after the bulrushes. There was horse leeches and effets and all kinds of things in the water. And they stung me, I think. I couldn't use my foot hardly for six weeks afterwards and was obliged to have a stick to walk with. I couldn't get about at all for four days and should have starved if it hadn't been that a young man kept me. He was a printer by trade and almost a stranger to me, only he seed me and took pity on me. When I fell off the bough, I wasn't much hurt, nothing to speak of. The horse sparrow is the worst nest of all to take. It's no value either when it is got and is the most difficult of all to get at. You has to get up a sparapet, note, a parapet, end note, of a house, and either to get permission or run the risk of going after it without. Partridge's eggs, they has no nest, they gives you six months for, if they see you selling them, 
because it's game and I haven't no license. But while you're hawking, that is, showing them, they can't touch you. The owl is a very difficult nest to get. They build so high in the trees. The bottle tit is a hard nest to find. You may go all the year round and perhaps only get one. The nest I like best to get is a chaffinch because they're in the hedge and is no bother. Oh, you hasn't got the skylark down, sir. They builds on the ground and has five eggs. I sell them for fourpence. The robin redbreast has five eggs too and is threepence. The ring dove has two eggs and is sixpence. The titlark, that's five blue eggs and very rare, I get fourpence for them. The jay has five eggs and a flat nest, very wiry indeed. It's a ground bird, that's one shilling. The egg is just like the partridge egg. When I first took a kingfisher's nest, I didn't know the name of it, and I kept wondering what it was. I dare say I asked three dozen people, and none of them could tell me. At last a bird fancier, the lame man at the Mile End Gate, told me what it was. I likes to get the nesties to sell, but I haven't no fancy for birds. Sometimes I get squirrels' nesties, with the young in them. About four of them, there mostly is. And they're the only young things I take. The young birds I leaves. They're no good to me. The four squirrels brings me from six shillings to eight shillings. After I takes a bird's nest, the old bird comes dancing over it, chirruping and crying and flying all about. When they lose their nest, they wander about and don't know where to go. Oftentimes, I wouldn't take them if it wasn't for the want of the victuals. It seems such a pity to disturb them after they've made their little bits of places. Bats I never take myself. I can't get over them. If I has an order for em, I buys em of boys. I mostly start off into the country on Monday, and come up on Wednesday. The most nesties as ever I took is twenty-two, and I generally get about twelve or thirteen. These, if I've an order, I sell directly, or else I may be two days, and sometimes longer, hawking them in the street. Directly I've sold them, I go off again that night, if it's fine though I often go in the wet, and then I borrow a tarpaulin of a man in the street where I live. If I've a quick sale, I get down and back three times in a week, but then I don't go so far as with them, sometimes only to Rumford. That is twelve miles from Whitechapel Church. I never got an order from a bird fancier. They gets all the eggs they want of the countryman who comes up to market. It's gentlemen I gets my orders off, and then mostly they tells me to bring em one nest of every kind I can get hold of, and that will often last me three months in the summer. There's one gentleman as I sells to is a wholesale dealer in window glass, and he has a hobby for them. He puts em into glass cases and makes presents of em to his friends. He has been one of my best customers. I've sold him a hundred nesties, I'm sure. There's a doctor at Dalston. I sell a great number too. He's taking one of every kind of me now. The most of my customers is stray ones in the streets. They're generally boys. I sells a nest now and then to a lady with a child, but the boys of twelve to fifteen years of age is my best friends. They buy em only for curiosity. I sold three partridges' eggs yesterday to a gentleman, and he said he would put them under a bantam he'd got and hatch em. The snakes and adders and slow worms I get from where there's moss or a deal of grass. Sunny weather's the best for em. They won't come out when it's cold. Then I go to a dung heap and turn it over. Sometimes I find five or six there, but never so large as the one I had today 
that's a yard and five inches long, and three quarters of a pound weight. Snakes is five shillings a pound. I sell all I can get to Mr. Butler of Covent Garden. He keeps them alive, for they're no good dead. I think it's for the skin they're kept. Some buys them to dissect. A gentleman in Theobald's Road does so. And so he does hedgehogs. He buys them for stuffing, and others for curiosities. Adders is the same price as snakes, five shillings a pound, after they first comes in, when they're ten shillings. Adders is wanted dead. It's only the fat and skin that's of any value. The fat is used for curing pisoned wounds, and the skin is used for any one as has cut their heads. Farmers buys the fat and rubs it into the wound when they gets bitten or stung by anything poisonous. I kill the adders with a stick, or when I has shoes, I jumps on them. Some fine days I get four or five snakes at a time, but then they're mostly small and won't weigh above half a pound. I don't get many adders. They don't weigh many ounces, adders don't, and I mostly has ninepence apiece for each I gets. I sells them to Mr. Butler as well. The hedgehogs is a shilling each. I gets them mostly in Essex. I've took one hedgehog with three young ones and sold the lot for two shillings sixpence. People in the streets bought them off me. They're wanted to kill the black beetles. They're fed on bread and milk and they'll suck a cow quite dry in their wild state. They eat adders and can't be poisoned. At least it says so in a book I've got about em at home. The effets I gets orders for in the streets. Gentlemen gives me their cards and tells me to bring them one. They're tuppence apiece. I get them at Hampstead and Highgate from the ponds. They're wanted for curiosity. The snails and frogs I sell to Frenchmen. I don't know what part they eat of the frog. But I know they buy them, and the dandelion root. The frogs is sixpence and a shilling a dozen. They like the yellow-bellied ones. The others they're afraid is toads. They always pick out the yellow-bellied first. I don't know how to feed them, or else I might fatten them. Many people swallows young frogs. They're reckoned very good things to clear the inside. The frogs I catch in ponds and ditches up at Hampstead and Highgate, but I only get them when I've a order. I've had a order for as many as six dozen, but that was for the French Hotel in Leicester Square. But I have sold three dozen a week to one man, a Frenchman, as keeps a cigar shop in R. R's court. The snails I sell by the pailful, at two shillings sixpence the pail. There is some hundreds in a pail. The wet weather is the best times for catching em. The French people eats em. They boils em first to get em out of the shell and get rid of the green froth. Then they boils them again, and after that in vinegar. They eats them hot, but some of the foreigners likes em cold. They say they're better, if possible, than whelks. I used to sell a great many to a lady and gentleman in Soho Square, and to many of the French I sell a shilling's worth. That's about three or four quarts. Some persons buy snails for birds, and some to strengthen a sickly child's back. They rub the back all over with the snails, and a very good thing they tell me it is. I used to take two shillings worth a week to one woman. It's the green froth that does the greatest good. There are two more bird's nest sellers besides myself. They don't do as many as me, the two of them. They're very naked. Their things is all to ribbons. They only go into the country once in a fortnight. They was never nothing, no trade. They never was in place, from what I've heard, either of them. I reckon I sell about twenty nesties a week, take one week with another. 
and that I do for four months in the year. Note, this altogether makes 320 nests, end note. Yes, I should say I do sell about 300 birds' nests every year, and the other two, I'm sure, don't sell half that. Indeed, they don't want to sell. They does better by what they gets give to them. I can't say what they takes. They're Irish, and I never was in conversation with them. I get about four shillings to five shillings for the twenty nests. That's between tuppence and threepence apiece. I sell about a couple of snakes every week, and for some of them I get a shilling, and for the big ones two shillings sixpence. But them I seldom find. I've only had three hedgehogs this season, and I've done a little in snails and frogs, perhaps about a shilling. The many foreigners in London this season hasn't done me no good. I haven't been to Leicester Square lately, or perhaps I might have got a large order or two for frogs. End quote. Life of a Bird's Nest Seller quote, I am twenty-two years of age. My father was a dyer, and I was brought up to the same trade. My father lived in Arundel, in Sussex, and kept a shop there. He had a good business as dyer, scourer, calico glazer, and furniture cleaner. I have heard mother say his business in Arundel brought him in £300 a year at least. He had eight men in his employ, and none under 30 shillings a week. I had two brothers and one sister, but one of my brothers is since dead. Mother died five years ago in the consumption hospital at Chelsea, just after it was built. I was very young indeed when father died. I can hardly remember him. He died in Middlesex Hospital. He had abscesses all over him. There were six and thirty at the time of his death. I've heard mother say many times that she thinked it was through exerting himself too much at his business that he fell ill. The ruin of father was owing to his house being burnt down. The fire broke out at two in the morning. He wasn't insured. I don't remember the fire. I've only heard mother talk about it. It was the ruin of us all, she used to tell me. Father had so much work belonging to other people, a deal of moreen curtains, five or six hundred yards. It was of no use his trying to start again. He lost all his glazing machines and tubs, and his drugs and punches. From what I've heard from mother, they was worth some hundreds. The Duke of Norfolk, after the fire, gave a good lot of money to the poor people whose things father had to clean, and father himself came up to London. I wasn't two year old when that happened. We all come up with father, and he opened a shop in London, and bought all new things. We had got a bit of money left, and mother's uncle lent him sixty pounds. We lived two doors from the stage door of the Queen's Theatre, in Pitt Street, Charlotte Street, Fitzroy Square. But father didn't do much in London. He had a new connection to make, and when he died, his things was sold for the rent of the house. There was only money enough to bury him. I don't know how long ago that was, but I think it was about three years after our coming to London, for I've heard mother say I was six years old when father died. After father's death, mother borrowed some more money of her uncle, who was well-to-do. He was perfumer to Her Majesty. He's dead now and left the business to his foreman. The business was worth £2,000. His wife, my mother's aunt, is alive still, and though she's a woman of large property, she won't so much as look at me. She keeps her carriage and two footmen. Her address is Mrs. Lewis, number 10, Porchester Terrace, Bayswater. I have been in her drawing-room two or three times. I used to take letters to her from mother. 
She was very kind to me then, and give me several half-crowns. She knows the state I'm in now. A young man wrote a letter to her, saying I had no clothes to look after work in, and that I was near starving. But she sent no answer to it. The last time I called at her house, she sent me down nothing, and bid the servant tell me not to come any more. Ever since I've wanted it, I've never had nothing from her. But before that, she used to give me something whenever I took a letter from mother to her. The last half-crown I got at her house was from the cook, who gave it me out of her own money, because she'd known my mother. I've got a grandmother living in Woburn Place. She's in service there, and been in the family for twenty years. The gentleman died lately, and left her half his property. He was a foreigner, and had no relations here. My grandmother used to be very good to me, and when I first got out of work, she always gave me something when I called, and had me down in her room. She was housekeeper then. She never offered to get me a situation, but only gave me a meal of victuals and a shilling or eighteen pence whenever I called. I was tidy in my dress then. At last, a new footman came, and he told me, as I wasn't to call again. He said the family didn't allow no followers. I've never seen my grandmother since that time but once, and then I was passing with my basket of birds' nests in my hand, just as she was coming out of the door. I was dressed about the same then as you seed me yesterday. I was without a shirt to my back. I don't think she saw me, and I was ashamed to let her see me as I was. She was kind enough to me, that is, she wouldn't mind about giving me a shilling or so at a time, but she never would do nothing else for me, and yet she had got plenty of money in the bank, and a gold watch, and all, at her side. After father died, as I was saying, Mother got some money from her uncle and set up on her own account. She took in glazing for the trade. Father had a few shops that he worked for, and they employed Mother after his death. She kept on at this for eighteen months, and then she got married again. Before this, an uncle of mine, my father's brother, who kept some lime kilns down in Bury St Edmunds, consented to take my brother and sister and provide for them, and four or five years ago he got them both into the Duke of Norfolk's service and there they are now. They've never seen me since I was a child but once, and that was a few years ago. I've never sent to them to say how badly I was off. They're younger than I am, and can only just take care of themselves. When mother married again, her husband came to live at the house. He was a dyer. He behaved very well to me. Mother wouldn't send me down to uncle's. She was too fond of me. I was sent to school for about eighteen months and after that I used to assist in the glazing at home, and so I went on very comfortable for some time. Nine years ago, I went to work at a French dyer's in Rathbone Place. My stepfather got me there, and there I stopped six years. I lived in the house after the first eighteen months of my service. Five years ago, mother fell ill. She had been ailing many years, and she got admitted into the consumption hospital at Brompton. She was there just upon three months, and was coming out the next day, her term was up, when she died on the overnight. After that, my stepfather altered very much towards me. He didn't want me at home at all. He told me so a fortnight after mother was in her grave. He took to drinking very hearty, directly she was gone. He would do anything for me before that. He used to take me with him to every place of amusement, what he went to. But when he took to drinking, he quite changed. Then he got to beat me, 
and at last he told me I needn't come there any more. After that, I still kept working in Rathbone Place, and got a lodging of my own. I used to have nine shillings a week where I was, and I paid two shillings a week for my bed and washing and mending. I had half a room with a man and his wife. I went on so for about two years, and then I was took bad with the scarlet fever, and went to Gray's Inn Lane Hospital. After I was cured of the scarlet fever, I had the brain fever, and was near my death. I was altogether eight weeks in the hospital, and when I came out I could get no work where I had been before. The master's nephew had come from Paris, and they had all French hands in the house. He wouldn't employ an English hand at all. He gave me a trifle of money, and told me he would pay my lodgings for a week or two while I looked for work. I sought all about, and couldn't find any. This was about three years ago. People wouldn't have me, because I didn't know nothing about the English mode of business. I couldn't even tell the names of the English drugs, having been brought up in a French house. At last, my master got tired of paying for my lodging, and I used to try and pick up a few pence in the streets by carrying boxes and holding horses. It was all as I could get to do. I tried all I could to find employment, and they was the only jobs I could get. But I couldn't make enough for my lodging this way, and over and over again I've had to sleep out. Then I used to walk the streets most of the night, or lie about in the markets till morning came, in the hopes of getting a job. I'm a very little eater, and perhaps that's the luckiest thing for such as me. Half a pound of bread and a few potatoes will do me for the day. If I could afford it, I used to get a haperth of coffee and a haperth of sugar, and make it do twice. Sometimes I used to have victuals give to me, sometimes I went without altogether, and sometimes I couldn't eat. I can't always. Six weeks after I had been knocking about in the streets, in the manner I've told you, a man I met in Covent Garden Market told me he was going into the country to get some roots. It was in the winter time and cold indeed. I was dressed about the same as I am now, only I had a pair of boots. And he said if I chose to go with him, he'd give me half of whatever he earned. I went to Croydon and got some primroses. My share came to ninepence, and that was quite a godsend to me, after getting nothing. Sometimes before that I'd been two days without tasting anything. And when I got some victuals after that, I couldn't touch them. All I felt was giddy. I wasn't to say hungry, only weak and sicklified. I went with this man after the roots two or three times. He took me to oblige me and show me the way how to get a bit of food for myself. After that, when I got to know all about it, I went to get roots on my own account. I never felt a wish to take nothing when I was very hard up. Sometimes when I got cold and was tired, walking about and weak from not having had nothing to eat, I used to think I'd break a window and take something out to get locked up. But I could never make my mind up to it. They never hurt me, I'd say to myself. I do fancy, though, if anybody had refused me a bit of bread, I should have done something again them. But I couldn't, do you see, in cold blood like. When the summer came round, a gentleman whom I seed in the market asked me if I'd get him half a dozen nesties. He didn't mind what they was, so long as they were small and of different kinds. And, as I'd come across a many in my trips after the flowers, I told him I would do so, and that first put it into my head, and I've been doing that every summer since then. 
It's poor work, though, at the best. Often and often I have to walk thirty miles out without any victuals to take with me, or money to get any, and thirty miles again back, and bring with me about a dozen nesties. And perhaps, if I'd no order for them, and was forced to sell them to the boys, I shouldn't get more than a shilling for the lot, after all. When the time comes round for it, I go Christmasing and getting holly. But that's more dangerous work than bird-nesting. The farmers don't mind your taking the nesties, as it prevents the young birds from growing up and eating their corn. The greater part of the holly used in London for trimming up the churches and sticking in the puddings is stolen by such as me, at the risk of getting six months for it. The farmers brings a good lot to market, but we is obligated to steal it. Take one week with another, I'm sure I don't make above five shillings. You can tell that to look at me. I don't drink and I don't gamble, so you can judge how much I get when I've had to pawn my shirt for a meal. All last week I only sold two nesties. There was a partridge's and a yellowhammer's. For one I got sixpence and the other threepence, and I had been thirteen miles to get them. I got beside that a fourpenny piece for some chickweed which I'd been up to Highgate to gather for a man with a bad leg. It's the best thing there is for a poultice to a wound. And then I earned another fourpence by some mash. Note, marsh, end note. Mallow leaves. That there was to purify the blood of a poor woman. That, with fourpence that a gentleman give to me, was all I got last week. One shilling ninepence, I think it is altogether. I had some victuals give to me in the street, or else I dare say I should have had to go without. But as it was, I gave the money to the man and his wife I live with. You see, they had nothing, and as they're good to me when I want, why, I did what I could for them. I've tried to get out of my present life, but there seems to be an ill luck again me. Sometimes I gets a good turn, a gentleman gives me an order, and then I saves a shilling or eighteen pence so as to buy something with that I can sell again in the streets. But a wet day is sure to come, and then I'm cracked up, obligated to eat it all away. Once I got to sell fish, a gentleman gave me a crown piece in the street, and I borrowed a barrow at tuppence a day, and did pretty well for a time. In three weeks I had saved eighteen shillings. Then I got an order for a sack of moss from one of the flower sellers, and I went down to Chelmsford and stopped for the night in Lower Nelson Street, at the sign of the Three Queens. I had my money safe in my fob the night before, and a good pair of boots to my feet then. When I woke in the morning, my boots was gone, and on feeling in my fob, my money was gone too. There was four beds in the rooms, feather and flock. The feather ones was fourpence, and the flock threepence for a single one, and twopence halfpenny each person for a double one. There was six people in the room that night, and one of them was gone before I awoke. He was a cadger, and had took my money with him. I complained to the landlord. They call him George, but it was no good. All I could get was some victuals. So I've been obliged to keep the birds nesting ever since. I've never been in prison but once. I was took up for begging. I was merely leaning against the railings of Tavistock Square with my birds' nesties in my hand, and the policeman took me off to Clerkenwell, but the magistrates, instead of sending me to prison, gave me two shillings out of the poor's box. I feel it very much going about without shoes or without shirt, and exposed to all weathers, and often out all night. The doctor at the hospital in Gray's Inn Lane gave me two flannels, 
and told me that whatever I did, I was to keep myself wrapped up. But what's the use of saying that to such as me, who's obligated to pawn the shirt off our back for food the first wet day as comes? If you haven't got money to pay for your bed at a lodging-house, you must take the shirt off your back and leave it with them, or else they'll turn you out. I know many such. Sometimes I go to an artist. I had five shillings when I was drawed before the Queen. I wasn't exactly drawed before her, but my portrait was shown to her, and I was told that if I'd be there, I might receive a trifle. I was drawed as a gypsy fiddler. Mr. Oakley in Regent Street was the gentleman as did it. I was dressed in some things he got for me. I had an Italian's hat, one with a broad brim and a peaked crown, a red plush waistcoat, and a yellow handkerchief tied in a good many knots round my neck. I had a black velveteen Newmarket cut coat with very large pearl buttons, and a pair of black knee breeches tied with fine red strings. Then I had blue striped stockings with high ankle boots with very thin soles. I had a fiddle in one hand and a bow in the other. The gentleman said he drawed me for my head of hair. I've never been a gypsy, but he told me he didn't mind that, for I should make as good a gypsy fiddler as the real thing. The artists mostly give me two shillings. I've only been three times. I only wish I could get away from my present life. Indeed, I would do any work if I could get it. I'm sure I could have a good character from my masters in Rathbone Place, for I never done nothing wrong. But if I couldn't get work, I might very well, if I'd money enough, get a few flowers to sell. As it is, it's more than anyone can do to save at bird nesting, and I'm sure I'm as prudent as there a one in the streets. I never took the pledge, but still I never take no beer nor spirits. I never did. Mother told me never to touch em, and I haven't tasted a drop. I've often been in a public house selling my things, and people has offered me something to drink, but I never touch any. I can't tell why I dislike doing so, but something seems to tell me not to taste such stuff. I don't know whether it's what my mother said to me. I know I was very fond of her, but I don't say it's that altogether as makes me do it. I don't feel to want to. I smoke a good bit, and would sooner have a bit of baccy than a meal at any time. I could get a goodish rig out in the lane for a few shillings. A pair of boots would cost me two shillings, and a coat I could get for two shillings sixpence. I go to a ragged school three times a week if I can, for I'm but a poor scholar still, and I should like to know how to read. It's always handy, you know, sir. End quote. This lad had been supplied with a suit of clothes and sufficient money to start him in some of the better kind of street trades. It was thought advisable not to put him to any more settled occupation on account of the vagrant habits he has necessarily acquired during his bird-nesting career. Before doing this, he was employed as errand-boy for a week, with the object of testing his trustworthiness, and was found both honest and attentive. He appears a prudent lad, but of course it is difficult as yet to speak positively as to his character. He has, however, been assured that if he shows a disposition to follow some more reputable calling, he shall at least be put in the way of so doing. Of the Street Sellers of Squirrels The street squirrel sellers are generally the same men as are engaged in the open-air traffic in cage birds. There are, however, about six men who devote themselves more particularly to squirrel selling, 
while as many more sometimes take a turn at it. The squirrel is usually carried in the vendor's arms, or is held against the front of his coat, so that the animal's long bushy tail is seen to advantage. There is usually a red leather collar round its neck, to which is attached some slender string, but so contrived that the squirrel shall not appear to be a prisoner, nor in general, although perhaps the hawker became possessed of his squirrel only that morning, does the animal show any symptoms of fear. The chief places in which the squirrels are offered for sale are Regent Street and the Royal Exchange, but they are offered also in all the principal thoroughfares, especially at the West End. The purchasers are gentlefolk, tradespeople, and a few of the working classes who are fond of animals. The wealthier persons usually buy the squirrels for their children, and even after the free life of the woods, the animal seems happy enough in the revolving cage in which it thinks it climbs. The prices charged are from two shillings to five shillings, or more if it can be got, from a third to a half being profit. The sellers will often enough state, if questioned, that they caught the squirrels in Epping Forest, or Cane Wood, or any place sufficiently near London, but such is hardly ever the case, for the squirrels are bought by them of the dealers in live animals. Countrymen will sometimes catch a few squirrels and bring them to London, and nine times out of ten they sell them to the shopkeepers. To sell three squirrels a day in the street is accounted good work. I am assured by the best informed parties that for five months of the year there are twenty men selling squirrels in the streets, at from twenty to fifty per cent profit, and that they average a weekly sale of six each. The average price is from two shillings to two shillings sixpence, although not very long ago one man sold a wonderfully fine squirrel in the street for three half crowns, but they are sometimes parted with for one shilling sixpence, or less rather than be kept overnight. Thus, 2,400 squirrels are vended yearly in the streets, at a cost to the public of £240. Of the street sellers of leverets, wild rabbits, etc., there are a few leverets, or young hares, sold in the streets, and they are vended for the most part in the suburbs, where the houses are somewhat detached, and where there are plenty of gardens. The softness and gentleness of the leveret's look pleases children, more especially girls, I am informed, and it is usually through their importunity that the young hares are bought, in order that they may be fed from the garden, and run tame about an outhouse. The leverets thus sold, however, as regards nine out of ten, soon die. They are rarely supplied with their natural food, and all their natural habits are interrupted. They are in constant fear and danger, moreover, from both dogs and cats. One shopkeeper who sold fancy rabbits in a street off the Westminster Road told me that he had once tried to tame and rear leverets in hutches, as he did rabbits, but to no purpose. He had no doubt it might be done, he said, but not in a shop or a small house. Three or four leverets are hawked by the street people in one basket, and are seen lying on hay, the basket having either a wide-worked lid or a net thrown over it. The hawkers of live poultry sell the most leverets, but they are vended also by the singing bird sellers. The animals are nearly all bought for this traffic at Leadenhall, and are retailed at a shilling to two shillings each, one-third to one-half being profit. Perhaps three hundred are sold this way yearly, 
producing 22 pounds 10 shillings. About 400 young wild rabbits are sold in the street in a similar way, but at lower sums, from threepence to sixpence each, fourpence being the most frequent rate. The yearly outlay is thus six pounds thirteen shillings. They thrive in confinement no better than the leverets. End of section twelve.